Thank you to David and John, a super session. As John picked up, there's, uh, there's always people within these averages that have different challenges, and that's something that we're going to pick apart in the next couple of sessions. In terms of adequacy, that is one of the key messages that uh, every financial advisor and every trustee needs to think about. There are imbalances across gender, employment type, location, and even the habits uh, of and the financial literacy of Australians. So that's something we're going to analyze with our panel. I'm delighted to introduce Lara Bourguignon. She's from AMP, where she holds the uh, lofty title of Managing Director, Superannuation, Retirement and Platforms. And we're also joined by the founder and principal of Wellspring Financial, and that's Liz Hughes. Good morning. And that's Good morning. A, <laughs> it's actually just ticked over here uh, in Sydney, so that's more relevant if you're in Perth than oh, yeah. similar. <laughs> Good afternoon. <laughs> uh, and do we have Lara as well? Okay, so whilst Lara is joining us, Liz, perhaps if you could begin with, uh, you've been incredibly generous in your intellectual uh, planning for this in the sense that there's so much moving uh, in terms of regulation, the markets. Could you just begin by sort of giving us a bit of a scene setting as to your experiences in this Q1 at Wellspring? Ah, oh, well, the, uh, the Corona quarter. Um, yeah, look, it's it's been a pretty wild time. I've been facing the same challenges that um, I'm sure every financial planner is at the moment, adjusting to working from home. Um, you know, in my case, managing a small human and uh, dealing with concerned clients. Um, so, you know, it's been a lot. I've been very lucky where my long-term, like 99% of my clients, my long-term clients have been amazing. I've obviously, you know, thank God I've probably trained them well over the years um, and just sort of hammering the diversity and volatility story home at every single review. Um, the long-termers are all uh, staying calm and getting through this um, as well as can be expected. Um, obviously, you know, I, I have an older client base, so there's concern for health as well. Um, so, you know, just, just genuinely worried about my clients. It's been um, a, a new experience for me to deal with. Uh, and just staying on top of it, of everything, you know, it's all very fast moving. Um, so I've just been trying to focus on uh, staying calm and consistent with my clients. Um, obviously, when I construct portfolios, particularly retiree portfolios, there's a lot of buffer there of defensive assets. They've got quite a long way to go before they'd be in a position where they had to um, sell down equities in the current position. And I just keep reminding them of that. And um, yeah, most of them have been troopers. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, as we begin this session, I'd love to involve the audience with a polling question. So we're looking at financial literacy, and that's something that's obviously heterogeneous across society. So if everyone's able to just jot away their answer, we've got five options for you. Who can have the biggest impact on improving Australian financial literacy? The first option is the schools, and I guess we can extend that to involve universities too, so formal education. The second option is your parents and that family education, and that's ongoing. Number three are regulators. Number four, financial advisors up and down Australia. And number five, superannuation, superannuation funds. So if everyone's able to offer their opinions, we'll Liz, let that um, tot away over the next minute or so. And Liz, as we go to you, in terms of your, um, 
you know, you, you've touched on your team and uh, so your clients being troopers. One of the things that I think is fascinating, obviously there's a spectrum of different situations, but do you think with all this volatility, it's helpful for people to watch market performance on a daily basis? At the, the one end, there's the complacency of not being across this corona quarter. I think that's a great mm -hmm. title for it. But at the other end, potentially there's anxiety and it's swinging around mm -hmm. and confusing professionals. What's your take yep. and what's your experience so far uh, of what clients are telling you? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one because um, the clients that have actually been watching it quite frequently, you know, they're okay because we've had those. So even though they can see their account balance swinging wildly, um, you know, the, the long-term clients, we've had so many conversations about it over the years. They're like, oh, well, you know, it's pretty wild, but this is sort of what happens. Um, the ones, you know, there are a section of them that are, choosing to not to look. They just don't want to know because they know it would make them anxious. Um, I suppose I have some concern around those clients, you know, when the uh, performance reports go out early July that uh, there might be a bit of heartburn then because <laughs> if, if they're not been keeping track, they might get a shock. Um, so I'm sure I'll, I'll get a few phone calls in, in July that, um, you know, haven't had already. Um, so, you know, I, I think it depends what it, whatever works for you, uh, or, or your clients. Um, some, some people want to stay informed and they're, they're well educated so that it's not actually making them anxious um, and, and others are just saying, no, I don't want to know. Um, and the interesting thing is the ones that don't want to know are actually my most conservative clients. So they're the ones with only um, sort of 30 to 35% exposure in any case. So, I mean, they'll still get a, a shock, but Generally speaking, it's the uh, the more aggressive or more educated clients that are actually keeping keeping a closer eye on it. Interestingly, mm, wonderful. And as you touched on there, one of the challenges is that everyone has different levels of financial literacy and competence. Yes. And now that's something that we just polled uh, our hundreds of viewers across the country. And for your reference, um, we had 64% of the audience selecting that schools and formal education are the best uh, conduit to improve financial literacy. Is that something? you would agree with obviously um you might have initiative to support schools with that ah, yeah like i would definitely agree with that because you've got to start with the foundation um obviously financial planners can add enormous value in that space and so can the media whatever but if you are starting from a base of zero it's so much harder whereas if they've had the foundations already explained to them in high school and they, you know even in university um we're telling them something that they've heard before. So it's like, um, you know, the marketing theory, you have to drip on somebody, you have to mention something six times before they really get it. Um, so, yeah, it definitely needs to start in schools. And then the more time they, the more times they see and hear it, um, the, the better it works. Um, and, you know, one thing I've been quite uh, disappointed by has been the comments from the general public on social media posts from superannuation funds and with news articles. Um, there seems to be a huge education gap out there. You know, some people commenting and just like, wow, you you don't know how this works. <laughs> um, so, you know, comments um, like, uh, well, you know, why shouldn't I take my super out now? Um, it's only, it's, it's doing minus 20%, so now's a great time to take it out. Well, it's not performing. No. <laughs> so, um, you, know, you know, this is the sort of thing that I'm seeing, which is indicating like a, a real need um, for better education. 
Mm. Well, let's get to that. That's such a huge issue. You've got so many things that are moving this quarter, and one of them is regulation. And obviously, so far, the feedback has been that that's been very pragmatic, that there's some, there's some good news, uh, potentially the government being flexible. But the other thing is, Liz, it's a fascinating dilemma. The regulations are changing. Early access, what's your thoughts? Uh, yeah, look, the early access one um, is, is a very interesting one at the moment because uh, the clients that are going to most likely to need it um, are the clients that are also most likely to experience inadequacy in retirement. Um, so, and, you know, and particularly with uh, younger clients, you know, casual workforce, um, they're not going to really think too much about what it's going to look like at 65. Um, but obviously, if you pull $10,000 out during a very difficult period in the market, and particularly when the market can go down, um, you know, 6 to 10% in one day at the moment, so you, you end up selling, you know, 10% more units than you would have the day before. Like, it's it's a really, uh, you know, crazy time. Um, and I don't think most people are really understanding the long-term implications of that. Um, so, yes, it may make sense if your alternative is racking up credit card debt at 18% or, you know, you need to pay for basic essentials, sure. Um, but if you're just taking it out to, you know, have it there just in case, um, you know, I think we should be quite strong on the, the message that, you know, please avoid it if you can because um, the long-term consequences are going to be more than you probably realise. That's a, a very accurate and detailed answer. Thank you. I, I believe now we can turn to, to Lara Bourguignon, who, who will be joining us um, from Sydney. Very good afternoon to you, Lara. Good afternoon, Lawrence and, and Liz, and to everyone dialing in today. I apologise for that small little hiccup. No, no, no need to apologise. We, we've touched on a couple of the salient um, themes of this quarter, being the market performance and also these, you know, regulation changes that necessitate a different yes. set of thinking and, and being across the facts. Yes. Lara, we'd love to get your sort of, you know, overview, a sixty thousand foot um, uh, take on all of these changes. What you're seeing from your, you know, from your AMP perspective. Yes, yeah, so certainly. Oh, sorry. Um, so um, I think that just I would echo exactly what Liz just mentioned with respect to, um, you know, really trying to help our um, members understand um, the, the here and now versus um, the, the future and the implications that that can have. I think certainly we... Um, uh, provide unequivocal support um, to Australians to access their super. We, you know, it is their savings, and I think for, you know, we're seeing certainly, um, well, not in our generation, the the level of um, layoffs and and people being made redundant or stood down due to the current environment. So, I think as an industry, we have a role to play in supporting Australians through this time. I think um, certainly picking up. Um, on the theme of financial literacy today, um, being being able to um, provide information that's relevant to our members, being able to be accessible so that um, they can understand a little bit more about what's going on, and also being um, understandable. I think to, to Liz's point before, I think something, it's at times like this where you um, investment risk, we start to have a conversation around, um, you know, what uh, you know? What can go um, wrong with investment or in investment markets? And so, um, being able to engage with our members and support them through this, I think, is is really really important. 
And Laura, look, that's such a wonderful qu um, answer that, you know, there's the facts that you are cognizant of as a, as a financial professional, but that's not always understood, even within the industry, um, depending on what roles people have. Could you give us some best cases and some, some sort of best practice, rather, how people can really make themselves understood in this time? Oh, such a great question, Lawrence. I think uh, we operate in an industry with so much jargon. Um, and I think um, by just a strong um, experience that stayed in my mind for a couple of years, back in 2018, um, AMP actually have a net promoter system. So when clients interact with us, they can leave us with feedback and they can request a callback at the end of, of, um, of that feedback process. And a member had asked um, for a callback and they had asked for a particular group executive to call um, to call them. Now, he was actually on leave at the time, so I picked up the phone and called the client. And it was really interesting because it was around the time of the Royal Commission and um, this member was gravely concerned that due to the reputational damage that the financial services industry had experienced through that time, that um, the remediation bills might impact um, financial services providers' ability to, to make their pension payments. And so, of course, I was able to provide that um, client with reassurance that shareholders were, were paying any sort of remediation associated um, with those case studies. But it was a really stark reminder to me that someone actually this, sorry, I should have mentioned this person had actually worked um, in banking for over 20 years. And it was a really stark reminder to me that even people who work in financial services for their whole careers weren't confident that their superannuation and pension assets were held in trust and weren't available for organisations, um, you know, undergoing any sort of financial hardship. And so, you know, we're in an industry where there is so much jargon um, and so much disclosure that, to be honest, many of us struggle to, to understand. Um, and so we sometimes forget that our... Um, but to engage our, our members, we have to be understandable. So, to, you know, to your question, Lawrence, I think um, really taking a step back, um, testing communications with um, different groups. Um, I'll regularly bring things home and, and ask my teenage children or my husband who um, is a healthcare worker to have a look at them and see if they can understand them. I think um, talking to members, I think there is... Um, you know, certainly um, we are able now to rely on many digital tools to get um, information to our clients um, through websites or apps or other different ways. Um, but I think it's a really, it's a time now as well where having access to uh, a person to talk to is really important as well. And you learn so much from talking to clients and being able to implement those feedback loops so that when you are getting feedback from clients around what is understandable and, and what's not, you can quickly adjust. Super. Uh, thank you very much. Liz, I've, I've got a question that's just come in from our audience, and um, I think it directly touches on something you just mentioned, which is that you were able to sort of help give education all throughout your relationships with, with a client. Um, so the question that's come in, you know, could you talk us through some of that? You know, what did you do in terms of scenario devising before this crisis? You know, do you think education efforts that you've engaged with have helped your clients through this current Q1 of 2020? 
Yeah, so um, I guess I'm of an age where I was one of the planners that's been through the GFC. Um, and that's really the direct experience that I draw from when I'm communicating with clients. And I actually have a couple of um, de-identified uh, portfolio performance reports from that time. Um, and they have uh, similar asset allocations. And one of them was an accumulation account. And the other was an account where uh, all assets were being sold down across the board to fund pension payments. You know, they weren't being drawn from cash. Um, and the return between the two accounts was about, um, uh, I think it was like 8% difference over a 12-month period with a very similar asset allocation. So, that's one of the tools I use to explain why I keep, you know, at least two to three years of pension payments in cash so that we're not uh, drawing down during a period like this. Um, I also uh, used another couple of um, examples where I, I had one client, literally just one client, that I could not talk off the ledge in March 2009. He just cracked. He couldn't take it anymore and he went to cash. And obviously the impact on his retirement was profound. You know, he could never recover from that. Um, and I was able to demonstrate that the other clients that uh, did stick with it, you know, that their portfolios absolutely did come back and that their projections now, um, you know, 10 years later, are actually not that far off the uh, sort of 2006 um, expectations that, that we had. So, uh, yeah, just being able to draw on that experience has been extremely valuable um, and demonstrating the, the value of sticking with your asset allocation and not, um, you're not panicking at the bottom of the market. Um, also, uh, hammering home the worst the, the worst possible case scenario. So you you can log on. You know you diversify. So you're not going to follow the market down. But the Australian share market went from top to bottom. It went down 54%. So absolutely, your portfolio can and at some point will go down by 20 to 25% potentially. That's it is what it is. And you know, as I always say, you have to crack an egg to make an omelette. Like, you've got to take the risk if you want the good long-term returns. Um, you know, no free lunch and all the other cliches. You just you just have to do it. Um, and, you know, by making sure that they, they have enough defensive assets to draw on in these times and that they understand that this sort of thing is expected and will happen, um, it does tend to keep them much calmer. Mm. Lara, I'd love to get your perspective on something we spoke about with Liz a few minutes ago, which is that there's so many different uh, sort of trends to be across this, this quarter in terms of credit markets, in terms of equity markets, all sorts of legislative changes. What do you think uh, the ordinary Australian should be doing to, to get some financial facts? Is it something that they can do on their own? Is it something that they need support with? Yes, um, it's a really great question, Lawrence. And I think um, when I was just listening to Liz then, I think what Liz has clearly been able to provide her, her clients with is confidence um, because she has been through this experience before and she can um, provide examples of, of how you come out the other side. And so I think um, everyone's different and I do think um, for those that um, are, you know, are really keen to understand um, doing some research and, you know, using the tools that are available to them to, um, I guess, self-educate to an extent is, is important. I think um, to the, you know, I think it's a time as, where I think the industry has a real opportunity to, 
communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, and certainly that's we've been doing a lot more of that. Um, and in fact, you know, daily, um, whether it's updates to the website, newsletters, um, letters directly from um, different members of our executive team, I think it is really important that people don't feel alone in, in working through this and that there are people with the right experience to be able to provide them with um, both big A advice, as, as Liz does, and what I call little A advice, which is um, more more like the help and guidance. So these are the things that you should think about. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's really, really hard um, to have conversations with members without straying, potentially straying into some type of advice. So I do really hope that we, we use this experience to think about how we can both simplify and innovate across industry, government and regulators um, to be able to, you know, to learn from this and to gather sort of all of that experience to be able to improve um, as, you know, how both in terms of financial literacy of Australians but also improve how we engage with the, um, our members moving forward. And, and you've perfectly segued to the next sort of strand of the conversation, Lara, which is that we've had the most amazing quarter. We started with the bushfires. Then we've experienced, you know, a health crisis that is, you know, very frightening for, for millions of Australians and around the world. And that's precipitated, A, an economic and a market um, sort of sell-off and, and concerns. And it's also created the practicalities of trying to do business in a social distancing and potential lockdown scenario. So I'd like to begin with both of you, perhaps Lara, to start. What are you seeing in terms of best practice and challenges also around conducting business in this new environment? Um, well, it's been quite remarkable. Um, in fact, um, I dialed into a Teams meeting this morning um, with, what, with one of my teams um, in the last week. I've had board meetings with our trustee board, with our um, main board. Um, I've had calls with regulators. Um, I've had sort of Skype calls, Zoom calls, um, Teams calls. Um, I think some, some of the teams are against via Teams last Friday afternoon um, just to stay connected. So I think it's been quite remarkable. I think we will really challenge ourselves and we will really change the way that we work as a result of this. Um, certainly, I think um, to the extent that uh, we've been able to keep our website updated, to keep um, information flowing, I believe just Lara's just dropped out there. So that's a technology issue that we all have to deal with uh, in this modern environment. Liz, yeah. if I turn to you, is that something that you can just now draw upon? Because you, you've referenced before that Wellspring is, you know, predominantly uh, sort of you've got older clients in the main. Is that correct to say? Mm -hmm. So presumably yeah, technology might be slightly new to them, Zoom calls and so forth. Yes. You know, it's interesting, uh, even though to me Zoom is an like it's pretty user-friendly, you send them a link and they click on it and hello. Um, we have had to have little practice runs before our review meetings and they are quite intimidated by it because it's just something a bit different. Um, so, you know, it's, it's needed, I've needed a lot of reassurance to get them on board and some of them have still opted for a phone review, um, which is fine, but it means that I can't show them a document or an asset allocation on screen, you know, I'm just talking them through it, which is not the same visual effect. Um, but I think, uh, you know, with the long-term clients, they know what's going on 
anyway, so it's not such of an issue. For new clients or clients that I'm getting to know, um, I find the video connection much more essential um, and, uh, you know, particularly to get a gauge, a feel for each other and body language and these sorts of things and to refer to documents and, and advice presentation, you know, having the video link is a must. Um, you can't present an SOA over the phone. It just doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, it, it has been interesting. I've had a couple of clients dig their heels in and say, no, I don't want to do this weird Zoom thing and I don't understand it. Um, and I can't even get the kids over at the moment because of the whole social distancing thing. Because what I used to do in the past was like, mm. oh, well, next time you're, you know, your adult daughter or whatever comes to visit, like get her to do a little trial run to, and, and to show you. Um, so that has been a challenge. The other thing that has been a challenge is um, I've got a few postal-based clients um, so I'm still having to pop out to the post box. I'm still having to go to the post office and buy stamps and things for uh, probably about 10% of my client base. Um, and now I'm thinking, well, like I'm not going to the grocery store. Is this essential? Could I be put in jail for six months for going to post this letter? Like it's, a, it's a bit of a worry. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge with an older client base. Um, but it's also even a challenge with a younger client base with the younger section of my client base because things like getting ID certified, um, you know, it's not like they can just pop down to their, their farm. Well, I guess they could pretend they were going to get medicine um, go to a pharmacy. Um, but, yeah, technically, like, that's not something that's on the list of things you're allowed to leave your house for right mm. now. Um, and we really need more progress because the technology is actually already there for digital um, KYC. Like, we, we can do it. Some some companies are already doing it online. Um, unfortunately, some super funds aren't. So we're, we're, we're facing that challenge as well. And I'd really like um, the whole industry to get on, on board with that. Like, even, you know, with the licence, we've moved on to smartphone licences and this sort of thing. Um, uh, my government team tells me that the uh, AML legislation is actually silent on that, you know, on the... <laughs> The fact that you can now have your license on your smartphone, like, is that legitimate or does it still have to be, you know, a physical piece of plastic? So we've really got some catching up to do there, both on a uh, legislative and industry level. Um, and the other thing is just getting digital signatures set up across the board. Um, yeah, I think we really need licences to to get together and, and come to an agreement and product providers and everybody get on the same page with this um, because it's really this whole situation has shown, uh, you know, it's, it's like rip the fig leaf away and <laughs> because we haven't had all of this set up, it's just added extra challenge to an already challenging time. Mm. And Lara, if you're on the court, yeah, perfect. Um, what would you be yes. your, your, your ideas on this links concept that we need to work together? Um, there are technological and potential legislative roadblocks to some of the processes that could make this um, advice and, and supporting Australians really easier, more efficient and more effective. Okay, I think we'll, we'll stay with you, Liz, um, for, for your commentary. Uh, so as you've touched on, there are all of these changes that are happening, and it, it does so in a backdrop where there is an advice challenge in this country, an advice gap. What mm -hmm. are some of the innovations that could take place? Obviously, it can't all be on your shoulders, but what could be yeah. done to make sure that there's broader, scaled advice, that there is good messaging mm -hmm. in society, and, you know, maybe some thoughts around episodic um, delivery. Are those some of the um, sort of strands of, of what could be achieved to make things easier? 
Um, I think uh, advisors could benefit from um, more advanced artificial intelligence technology to do real-time compliance checks for us so we know we're on the right track. I know my licence is already using um, Red Market, like they've still got human checking everything as well, but they're using Red Market to sort of speed things up. Um, and one of the challenges is you want to be spontaneous and you want to get articles out there to educate the public, but obviously that has to be put through a filter before you just um, put it online to protect yourself and your licence. So any technology that um, can be used there to, to make that process more efficient would be valuable. Um, you know, I think we all need to, uh, particularly at the moment, get more on board uh, with online fact finds, um, you know, because I think... Uh, the days of sort of sitting down with a piece of paper and a, and a pen in front of a client, um, well, it's not really working at the moment, is it? So, um, you know, so I think that's particularly important. We need to make some strides there. Uh, and just um, for me, just getting more polished at presenting via Zoom, um, you know, more seamless in the way that I'm bringing uh, attention to the aspects of the SOA that I want to highlight. Um, so really, you know, it, it's just practice. I think we'll get better at it. And and if there's any silver lining out of this whole horrible situation, um, it may be that certain technologies do get pushed along because, you know, we realise that we, we really need them. Um, and, yeah, I think a some super funds, I'm not going to mention any names, but some super funds are still quite archaic with their requirements. You know, they're wanting actual physical uh, wet signatures, signed things in the post. And, you know, that's sort of, it's not really practical. And our compliance obligations are such that um, that's taking up a lot of our time and our resources. Um, so any time we can avoid spending on this sort of busy work that, that doesn't add value, like there's mm. no value for the client in getting this piece of paper and, and putting their wet signature on it and then getting someone to witness it and then mail it back. Like that's, uh, you know, it adds friction. And I think one one of the topics we're going to discuss today, where we kind of got a bit overtaken by the whole corona situation, uh, was gender imbalances with super balances. And one instance where I've seen, um, I suppose, old-fashioned <laughs> processes hindering this is, um, you know, when I wanted to do a super splitting strategy for a client, um, this particular super fund required... Um, a, a wet signature sort of certified ID to be sent in before they'd um, send the super across to the spouse. And, you know, the, the husband's busy. He's, like, working 60-hour weeks. He's like, I just can't be bothered. Um, so so any, anything that makes it harder for people um, is is a bad thing and needs to be uh, re-examined. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's a wonderful point, isn't it? That uh, in this period of us all needing to adapt and maybe bring forward some of these technological advances and, and implementation, if we can all work together, that's uh, the, the whole industry, super funds, all the way through to the, you know, the smallest financial advising operations. If we're all able to um, think carefully about what adds value uh, in terms of adequacy for millions of Australians, mm. I think that's a, a, good, a good yardstick. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you to Lara Bourguignon and to Liz Hughes for joining us for this session and for being so, you know, so uh, able to adapt and, and pivot this conversation into the immediate challenges. But as you say, there are lasting conversations that also need to take place. So thank you to you both.